the fact that you know we founded the company in Switzerland had was a was a curse because it was a small market, but it was a blessing in disguise because we were first to think international from the beginning. So our customers in Switzerland even were international from from day one. They had team members in Germany, in the UK, in in, in Switzerland, and so that meant that we actually designed the product from the beginning to be uh, supporting international teams, and that's why our product is the best for international teams, which is a huge need for Europe because that's you know we're in a fragmented market here and hello and welcome to the riding unicorns podcast this is the podcast all about growth startups i'm james pringle i'm a technology entrepreneur investor and vc at portfolio ventures my co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a partner at B2B Investor Episode 1 Ventures. This podcast is all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. We speak to some of the best founders and investors, many from unicorn companies, and ask them about their journey, operational insight, tips, lessons, stories, and anything that can help uncover what it takes to build a high-growth business. This week's episode is with Yoko Spirig, co-founder and CEO at Leggy. Leggy is the equity management platform built for growing companies. Founded in 2017, Leggy is the first ever Sequoia-funded startup from Switzerland. They've also raised from Harry Stebbings at 20VC, VI Partners, B2V Partners, and some great angels. In this episode, we cover picking your co-founders, going from idea to MVP, what is like raising from Sequoia, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, Yoko. Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. Hi, James. Hi, Hector. Great to be here. Yoko, maybe we could start by just uh, getting an explanation of what Leggy is in your own words for our audience. Absolutely. So at Leggy, we help companies to manage their ownership. So everything around cap table to employee participation plans. Crucially as well, we help companies communicate the value of the ownership to employees and to investors. Very succinct, but keen to hear your journey and, and why you suddenly became a founder. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. And the way it happened is really that uh, while, while I was studying physics back then, that's where I originally met my two co-founders, Ben and Timo. And in parallel to our studies, we were actually working on a startup idea in the security space, so not Leggy. But that really connected us in the startup ecosystem here in, in Zurich, in Switzerland. And back then, we, we got connected to investors and, and two other founders. And one of these founders was ahead of the journey compared to us. His name is Peter. Actually, he's still a happy customer today. But back then, Peter, we, we were chatting with him and he was showing the way he was managing the cap table and, you know, his employee participation and, and so on. And in his case, he had a setup where a single share of his company was sitting on a single row of an Excel sheet. So you can just imagine, you know, how huge and, and messy uh, and error prone this process was. And for us back then, you know, we realized, well, wow, first of all, we would never want to manage our ownership like this when our company would grow. And second of all, we just realized that this was not unique to Peter, but everywhere in Europe around us and beyond, there was just no way to manage ownership. So that's one. And number two, Peter back then as well, and companies around us were, were having this problem that the value of equity was not well understood by teams. So ultimately, equity is all about the people, right? If you give ownership and people don't value it, why give it? And so for us back then, it was really this combination of, 
wow, this is a, such an acute and concrete problem we can build a software for. And secondly, the impact we could have via equity on teams and ultimately on, on entrepreneurship in Europe. Yeah, that's super interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that because I think people take granting options for granted. But yeah, fa- fascinating. And I wonder at uni, why were you drawn to those co-founders? What made you guys want to work together? Yeah, so it's going to be a bit of a romantic story. I, I was told that this was the most romantic story people hear about how we like decided to first found a company or at least work on a startup idea back then. After our bachelor studies, we went on a trip together just to take a break after. And uh, we, we, in fact, took the Trans-Siberian train from Japan, which is one of my countries of origin, and back to Russia, and then from Russia to all the way back to Switzerland. And so what in a, in a train, you don't have a lot, lot of things to do. And so we had a lot of time. Uh, and we, we were just, um, and I think back then, Timo first brought up a startup book, actually, about entrepreneurship. And we started to, to just read it and started to brainstorm about ideas. That's really how we, we suddenly, you know, thought, well, this is such a great way to have a, a very direct impact on the world around us, on, on society. Yeah, it's great that that relationship was formed prior to founding the business. So once you'd identified this problem around equity management, how long did it take you to build an MVP? And how did you validate the idea beyond your first few customers who, by the sounds of it, were people in your vicinity, kind of friends of your business? For us, it took us actually quite a while at the beginning. In fact, today, it's been quite exactly five years since we at the very beginning, founded Leggy. And in fact, for two years, we were only three people. In these first two years, where we were essentially you know, building our first prototype, uh, we were actually quite fast in releasing the first prototype. I think it took us three months to you know, just go live. But then to really find, to really build a powerful product took us a while. Ultimately, uh, when things really took off is, in these first two years, the product was actually totally free. And we decided at some point to actually change our focus from a free product, more focused on early stage startups to larger teams. And if I think back, actually, from the beginning, you know, the reason back then where we, when we started Energy is really because of founders such as Peter that were really tr- starting to struggle with ownership when, when their team was so large. And so what we did is, you know, we shifted our focus to slightly larger teams back then. And we introduced the pricing finally, and we also started to do sales, which is you know needed when you go uh, towards slightly larger teams. Um, so that's when when we things really took off. And so I would say ultimately it, it was really constantly you know working on the product. At the beginning, we were all programming the three of us and really really doubling down on this. And then at some point, adding sales, adding marketing, which was also a challenge for us as technical founders. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the the space is kind of interesting to me because this is like an established space, right? There are big players. There are players like Carter who are well established, have huge reach, and are probably seen as the kind of market leaders in in this space. So, how how did you manage to attract that investment? Like, what's the vision that stands you apart from the competition? Yeah. First of all, just to clarify, in Europe, actually, our biggest competition still today is Excel Sheets, meaning that that's where customers today, most of our customers are migrating from. So that's the reality today. There is competition 
uh, in that space, that's true, but that's the reality. And the way Ledger is different is in actually three, three, three main ways. And the first one is that the fact that we founded the company in Switzerland was a, was a curse because it was a small market, but it was a blessing in disguise because we were first to think international from the beginning. So our customers in Switzerland even were international from day one. They had team members in Germany, in Day, in, in, in Switzerland. And so that meant that we actually designed the product from the beginning to be supporting international teams. And that's why our product is the best for international teams, which is a huge need for Europe because that's, you know, we're in a fragmented market here. And so you need that capacity. I would add two more things to that. So one is that it is one thing to build a software for managing ownership. And that is a huge part of our product, but we, or we want to go one step further. And that's, that step is about the people. And what we're really focusing on with the product is to make sure that the employee experience is really core in the product. And that's a huge reason why customers are, are buying the product. It's really because it allows them to make equity more tangible to their teams. The, the last one as well is we're super product focused. So we're making sure that the product can be used as self-service as possible from founding uh, and as long as possible in the company's journey. The employee piece, like making it clear, t- telling the equity story to, to your employees, I think is important. And how do you guys measure that? Do you look at like how often employees log in to check out their net worth and compare that to your, your competitors? Or, or how do you kind of try and maximize value to employees? Yeah, so the way we're doing it is we measure actively how often employees check their employee dashboard. We also have uh, ways for them to simulate future funding rounds to really understand what is actually my value. And also what, uh, what is great in Ledger is that one thing is that transparency aspect um, of the company sharing information. You know, it's sharing information, but the whole granting process is also done uh, online, obviously. Uh, and on top of this, we also have the capability in the product that we can share information about the company's journey. So what's happening? If there is a funding round, you can uh, share about this on the platform. You can you share monthly report with investors, which include employees, right? Who are also investors in that way. That allows the customers to really engage everyone and really have an owner spirit in the entire team. And I think that for employees, this means ultimately that they're going to get interested in the company's journey differently than if they wouldn't own part of the company and if it's just you know like some number somewhere in an email and versus if you really have that information tangibly and you can communicate about it uh with your with your company yeah that's great using the comms as a way to get that engagement is clever and also i really liked earlier when you're saying that actually europe's fragmentation in the market is a competitive advantage because it's an it's often the criticism of the european venture scene but actually i love that that's a positive for you guys You mentioned that you started looking at bigger enterprise style clients and that you brought in pricing. How did you approach pricing? How did you know how to price your tiers and what to include? What was the process that you went through to get to where you are now? So at the beginning, we we had a super pragmatic approach, which worked well at the beginning. And so the the idea we've we've had is, first of all, we, we always like a big part of, of how we see the space and the, and the product is that 
we think it has to be as self-serve as possible for as long as possible. And so we wanted to make sure that if you're a startup starting off, the product will still be free so that you can afford it and then stay on as you grow. So uh, that was clear for us. And we, we've we always had a free plan, which we still have today. And when we introduced these enterprise packages, we actually, in the early days, I still remember, we just went it very pragmatically. So we had a, a spreadsheet and just went out to our first early adopters and interviewed them. And we had like a willingness to pay data on uh, available and we we just went for that and one thing that we noticed is that for these customers it made a lot of sense to pay per seat and that really makes sure that the pricing scales with the size of of the company sure and the secondaries market like that i think is just an interesting topic of discussion because again loads of people are trying to build this out and you know in the uk even crowdcube have tried but I see, you know, once a month, a new secondaries platform, sort of trading platform um, or exchange cropping up. And I wonder whether that's like, you know, that's the big vision here. Is that is there a huge business to be built around just the equity management piece that you're doing at the moment? Or is the grand, you know, multi-billion pound or euro opportunity in, in creating a secondaries exchange? So the way we see secondaries is that it's definitely a need, right? So, and, and the reason why it's a need is because we hear from companies, from customers. And again, for us, everything starts with the customer. It's not, you know, we, we are not thinking, again, that's like uh, where the money can be made. No, it's really about what is actually the pain point for our customers and teams that we are helping. And for them, there is definitely a need there where at some point you kind of want to be, to not feel that constant pressure of going public because of liquidity, right? You want to, want, you want to time it really well. And so there is definitely this need to be able to offer liquidity early on for early employees or investors. We feel it. That being said, you know, right now, as of today, we, we see that it's quite a, a, a manual process, which involves a lot of legal side of things. And also, like, there is a reason why companies are not public yet. And so uh, we see that also founders have differing opinions on who they want to offer these secondaries to and so on. And so... For now, we actually have found the, the perfect way to solve this for our customers, which is to partner with, uh, with an external company called Semper. They're, they're originally from France, but are helping companies internationally. And so in this way, we're able to solve that pain point for customers in a, in a, with a partnership. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so and, uh, you mentioned that all of the co-founders are engineers and contributed to the early version of the product. What does a normal day look like for you now? How much coding do you do? What other roles do you fulfill? Yeah, so today I am not coding anymore, unfortunately, or fortunately, maybe for the product now. So as of today, I would say the top one activity for me today would be really to hire. I think that's uh, really my core focus. Apart from that, you know, it's really about making sure to coach our leadership team. That's really been a big change actually since the Series A, where we were 15 people last year and we're 65 people today to really put in place a team. So before that, we were three founders and all decisions were made uh, within that team. And then going from that into really scaling actually that decision making and that uh, leadership across a larger team. And I would recommend that to, to really any founder who goes through, through, through such a phase. And your your fundraising journey, how did you pick which investors to go with? Or maybe you could actually tell 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 the listeners and, and us 
what your fundraising journey has been and you know how you approached your your latest series a in you know speaking to all the right investors that you wanted to speak to and then picking the right ones sure so i think there are different approaches but fundraising is super time consuming so what i like to do is to be really focused and if you go out to fundraise then you do it like really fully and and then it's much more efficient and also you know i think this this thing that people say that VCs live on, on, on FOMO as well. I think to a certain extent it is true. So if you're able as a founder to actually create that momentum and not be sort of dependent on external capital, I think that's really key to a great fundraising process. For us, how it happened with, with, um, with Sequoia for Series A is that it was also really a, a lucky moment, I would say. So we got connected to Luciana originally, who is our board member today, to our sales advisor back then. And, uh, you know, we, we started our, a conversation with her and it actually all went super quickly. So within three weeks, we had our term sheet. And I think for us back then, you know, obviously Sequoia is, is known to be an, an incredible fund. Now working with them, I can confirm, I can really recommend working with the team uh, at Sequoia. Also for us, there were two things that made it the, the perfect fit. One is that Luciana as a board member has an incredible experience in Europe, where we started from. And Sequoia as a, as a fund is a global fund, right? right? And that is where we're also ultimately going to. So starting from Europe uh, with, a, with a global ambition. And raising from such well-known VCs, which is like, it's a business where a lot of your customers are probably reading the, the sort of tech news and would recognize Sequoia and 20VC and all these other names as, as great investors. Has that had an impact on your business in terms of your conversations with customers? Have you noticed anything there? Definitely. I would say um, if uh, I, w- I had to do this again and also for founders listening, I would definitely also talk about it before the investment. So really explicitly say, hey, we think that intros to customers is really something we, we would love to leverage. And in our case, we could really count on that. And it's not, I would say, it's not always the case, right? Uh, maybe some investor wouldn't necessarily help as much as others. And so I would also recommend founders to simply also do uh, reference calls um, with, with founders of these investors to see how they work, how do they work together. But for us, definitely, especially in our space, it's been really helpful to be able to count on these, on these uh, customer intros. It's like one of the questions we ask ourselves a lot as investors is how do we help our portfolio companies and often customer intros is one of those ways but like systemizing that is quite hard and you don't want to inundate your portfolio with too many messages and how do you optimize click-through or response rates when i email my portfolio companies and say hey there's this fantastic new product leggy you should use it how have you worked with your investors to kind of optimize those referrals and get the most possible value that you can out of your um, investors i mean We've been also lucky that our investors were very open and willing to just do it. And, uh, and we, we've actually been quite systematic about it. So uh, at some point, we were actually really sending weekly emails with like a list of companies we were chatting with already. So that, that by the way, also helps that often it was customers we were already in touch with. And then, you know, it, it just helped that they put in a good word and say, hey, we are, by the way, investors. And, uh, and we just went about it very systematically. So weekly ask of a few customers that they could make an intro to. Clever. I like that sort of continuous engagement so that the, the investors know where you stand. And you mentioned that you 
growing the team pretty quickly and that funding has obviously contributed to that growth. How has the culture changed or stayed the same in that growth period? And is there anything you'd wish you'd had in place before going from where you were to now 65 plus employees? Good question. So I think the the first thing that comes to mind here is that I feel very lucky that we did one thing right before this scaling phase from 15 to 65. And that, that one thing we did we did right about the culture is that we introduced a culture interview in the hiring process. And that really just ensured that, you know, we would make sure that any person who joined really resonates with, with our four core values. And I think that, that just made a, a huge difference in, in, in our ability to scale the culture. I'd recommend it to, to really uh, anyone. And in, in my opinion, you know, culture is something that, honestly, we're also still finding out how to really live better and, and scale. It's, a, it's an everyday effort. But I would say that if I had to pick one thing is to make sure it starts at the hiring process. And really, that's where you need to you know, make sure the, the culture is a, is a fit. And um, just, just broadening up that question, what do you think you have done well as a founder over the last five years? Putting, putting aside all modesty. Looking back, or let's say, rather put it that way, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question, I think just determination and grit is something that's key for such a journey because it's, it's a long journey. And so, you know, just being determined and pushing through, if you really believe in your idea, is it's key. And then it's really phases. Like no, no company, I think, is has, you know, straight A's up until the IPO. I think there is always struggle phases as well. And so really that determination to, to push through. And in my view, to be able to have that determination and that grit and to enjoy it, to me, the, the critical thing as well is, is the team. I feel so lucky to have been able to start this with, with Ben and Timo, my two co-founders, who, you know, it's just been a joy to, to build Leggy and, and now a team of 65. So, yeah, I would say it's all about determination, a great team, and obviously the idea, the impact you want to make in the, in the world. And where does that determination and grit come from? We ask this question to quite a few guests, which is sort of what do you want out of your career? What's your goal for your career? So, yeah, where, where do you think that determination really stems from? And wh- why do you want to be so determined? What's that? aiming for what are you leading i think for me i think i just enjoy also hard problems and and adventures just uh, i don't know why that's just in my nature and uh, i also really like only hard problems is the only thing i think the second thing is it has to be meaningful it has to make a difference and i think in leggy ultimately what fulfills me is i really believe that equity is key to build great teams and great teams are critical to build incredible companies. And I think that's really what we're trying to change in, in society. And where, where on the, the journey so far has, have you needed to have the most grit? Yeah, so I would say definitely the first two years, which was a long time, only with, with three people. And having that idea, seeing the problem, but the fact that things didn't took off as we expected it to, I think was, was tough and required really a lot of determination, of, of re-questioning uh, and, and, and of constant pivoting and, and, and iteration on the product to really get where, uh, where then things, things took off. So I would say that phase was looking back 
one of the most challenging ones. We're getting near to the end now, Yoko, but uh, just on that last bit, what, what was kind of the inflection point? Where did it go from the early days, three of you, quite hard, two years, finding the solution to the problem, to then that inflection of, actually, we've got something, investors are now interested, we've got product market fit, we've got customers. What, what was that feeling like and when was that? Yeah, so it definitely was a different feeling you know, when, when things really started to grow and, and, and take off, I actually have never felt like this is product market fit. Now everything is easy. Like I would say it's still, it still feel, feels hard. Product market fit is, I think it's sometimes a bit overhyped. I don't think that it's, it's something that's just, you know, magical and suddenly everything is, is super easy. But, uh, but I would say that definitely when it is that moment that, that I was describing before, right? Like after these two years, when we, changed the focus, changed our, our target customer and, and really introduced sales as well, uh, which we didn't do before. That's really when things start, started to really grow and, 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 and peak momentum. Uh, and, and, and we also grew the team uh, from 3 to 15 back then. Yoko, it's been absolutely amazing having you on and there's been so much insight and loads of practical, actionable advice. So um, it's been brilliant and thank you. And uh, I think, as you know, we always like to ask people for their dinner party guest games before we go. So who would you invite to a dinner? Three people, they can be dead or alive. Yeah, so first of all, thank you as well. It's been a great conversation, really enjoyed it. So actually I would say the first person is not a person, but a, a group of people and that's my family, I would say. Uh, and that's because, you know, ultimately that's the most important thing to me. And uh, that's why, Number two, I thought of Angela Merkel, actually, and uh, so the former Chancellor of Germany. And the reason for that is she, I think, has been the woman with the longest tenure as a head of state, 16 years. And so, you know, I, I don't think uh, she did everything perfectly, but they, it's, a, it's quite a feat to, you know, be elected for 16 years straight. And I really admire her for that. And I think she, she made a, a dent into woman leadership. Last but not least, I would say uh, Greta Thunberg. And the reason for that is because uh, I think she she made a tremendous job in making some noise for the climate crisis. And that's probably the biggest challenge we're facing. That's going to be an epic dinner. And um, yeah, I bet your family are honored. <laughs> They're going to have a great time. <laughs> cool. Yoko, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much as well. It's been, it's been great and, and great questions. And all the best to, to you for the rest of the journey. Thank you. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media. And we'll see you on the next episode.